Pardon me, sir. I'm a stranger in town, and I wondered if you could tell me what's going on. Sure, anything. Glad to help. What do you mean, what's going on? Well, all the decorations and the mobs of people pushing and shoving and all those colored lights. Oh, you are a stranger. Well, stranger, this is the Christmas season. And all of these decorations are to help us get into the Christmas spirit. And these people are doing their Christmas shopping. Christmas shopping, you say? Do people shop more at Christmas than at other times? And what is the Christmas spirit, anyway? These folk look all hurried and worn out, and some of them even look angry. Oh, yes, stranger. People do shop more at Christmas time. Some people, even buy so much, they go way in debt. You see, we buy gifts for each other, and then on Christmas Eve we have parties and family gatherings and we exchange gifts. Oh, that sounds interesting. Does everyone get just what he needs? And say, I see a lot of poor people around. Do you exchange gifts with them too? Well, no, we don't always get what we need, but that's not the idea. And we don't expect the poor to give us anything. Most of us give 50 cents or so to help them have a Merry Christmas. Say, friend, I don't want to sound too ignorant, but these funny-looking people dressed in red, wearing long white beards, who are they? Boy, you are a stranger. They represent Santa Claus, the symbol of Christmas. Nobody's really sure how he originated, but we tell our children that at Christmas, Santa brings them gifts. And they really get excited. Santa and Christmas really go together. That does sound exciting. But say, while we were talking, a man fell down in the gutter right over there. No one has offered to help him. Should we help him up? No, he's all right. He probably just had an office party and drank his gift all at one time. That's the way some celebrate Christmas. Just anything for a good time. Yes, I see. Anything for a good time. Say, there's some rather interesting music coming from that store, but every now and then I hear a song that sounds out of place. There are several about Santa Claus. I understand them. There are some about a white Christmas. I believe I understand that one too. But what is joy to the world? The Lord is come. What's that all about? What does it mean? Well, stranger... I can't explain that too well. You see, there are a few religious fanatics who claim that Christmas has something to do with a baby called Jesus. And Christmas is to celebrate his birthday or something. I guess the stores play songs about that now and then to get the trade from those who believe in that sort of stuff. Well, I'd like to know more about that. Do you know anyone who could tell me more? No, I don't, stranger. I never went in for that sort of stuff myself. I'll stick with the real kind of Christmas. But you'll find someone in that church right around the corner who could tell you something. Oh, I, I hope so. Thank you for telling me all about Christmas. I'm sorry I seem so ignorant, but this is all new to me. That's all right, stranger. Glad to oblige. By the way, what did you say your name was? Oh, I'm sorry. Didn't I tell you? I go by several names, but those who know me best just call me Jesus. Could you imagine having a meeting like that? 
You know, Jesus Christ came to this earth as God in human flesh, and people didn't recognize him, just like the man in that story didn't recognize him. And so the question would remain for us tonight, how should we celebrate Christmas? People celebrated a variety of ways, and you've noticed them, haven't you? Some use it as a time for self-indulgence. It's an excuse to throw another party. It's an excuse to overeat or get something from somebody else. Then others celebrate it as sort of a cultural observance. And we've even changed the names. Have you noticed that? Many people will call it Xmas now instead of Christmas. Or people are taking the name away altogether and they're simply calling it a winter celebration. Or some will say Yuletide greetings. Still others look at Christmas as just a social observance. It's a time to exchange gifts, to feel good, you know, goodwill toward men, all that kind of stuff. It's a good time to have that done. It seems that for all practical purposes, Christmas, with all of its true meaning, with all of its glory and splendor, has become, to so many, just a pagan kind of a holiday. We've replaced Jesus with less offensive figures like Santa and Rudolph, Scrooge, Frosty the Snowman. Now someone might say, boy, I guess we've really strayed a long way from the first Christmas, haven't we? We've really taken it down to the gutter. We've gone so far away from the way they celebrated it the first time. Well, you'd be surprised to know, not really. In fact, way back then when Jesus was first born, people had much the same reaction that they have today. In fact, there were four different responses by four different groups of people when Jesus was born into the world. There was the response of an entrepreneur, we should call him. He was the innkeeper. Another response came from a politician named Herod. They called him Herod the Great. He wasn't all that great, but he thought he was. Then there was the response from the religious community, which wasn't as positive as you might think. Then, of course, there was a response from a group that we affectionately call to this day the wise men. Now, listen to this verse of Scripture about this innkeeper, who we call the entrepreneur this evening. In the Gospel of Luke, it says, The days were completed for Mary to be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and she laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, this time of the year was census time. That's right, all of the cities in Israel were packed full of people, packed full of Israelites who had traveled far from their homes to go back to the place of their ancestors. In Bethlehem, the city of David, was jammed full of people, all who were living descendants of ancient King David. They had gone there to be registered because the Scripture tells us that a command went throughout all of the world to tax everyone. Sounds very modern, doesn't it? to take a census of everyone who lived. So they went back to their hometown. The town of Bethlehem is where Joseph and Mary were from because they belonged to the house of David. All this was orchestrated 
by a man in Rome named Caesar. However, as you read the story a little bit more closely, you find that it wasn't Caesar or anybody else in Rome who came up with this idea that actually Caesar was like a little bitty pawn on God's chessboard. God was moving him around wherever he wanted to. Because you see, the scripture already foretold the Messiah will come and be born in Bethlehem. And so Caesar, really following providential orders, commands people to go back and be registered. And so Joseph and Mary were going there, but Mary was pregnant. And while she was in Bethlehem, her baby was born. Interesting, by the way, the term Bethlehem means the house of bread. You couldn't have a more fitting place for the bread of life, Jesus Christ, to be born than in a place known as the house of bread. It says that they came to the inn, but there was no room. Now, this innkeeper was not a malicious person. I can't say that he was cruel, that he just didn't like this family and turned them away. He was just busy. He was preoccupied. The inn was full. You couldn't fit any more people in. And I have found that people today do not reject Jesus Christ necessarily because they hate him. They're just too busy. They've got too much stuff in their life. Their hearts are so overcrowded with other things, other pursuits, other persons. Lord, I don't have anything against you. I'm just too busy for you. There are other pursuits in my life. I think one of the reasons our society and our world is such a lonely place is because there's so many people running around with overcrowded hearts, busy hearts, who don't have time for anything else but themselves and their own pursuits. It's interesting, I read a poll taken by George Barna, a very prominent pollster, who described life in the United States of America in the 1990s. Here's his description. Overwhelmed by information, rocked by innumerable opportunities and a limited number of hours and struggling to remain abreast of the sweeping changes that are impacting lifestyles and relationships. Does that describe your life? Just chock full of everything. Not necessarily bad things, wrong things, just other things that aren't as important as the most important thing, a relationship with God. That's what the innkeeper's life was like. He was just crowded. That prophet was important. There was no more room in the inn. Get rid of this couple. Send them away. And so they went to another place, the Scripture tells us. Jesus Christ, later on when He grew up, warned about the kind of a person who lets the cares of this world come and choke up His life. The cares of this world and the cares for other things. Now, especially at Christmas time, this tends to be sort of a pattern among many people. Have you noticed that? We're busy with Christmas parties. We're busy with school activities. We're busy with shopping. Now, these are good things. But have you let a good thing keep you from the best thing? You can surround your life with good activities, good things, but if those things keep you from the very best thing, then those good things can become bad things. An overcrowded heart. You know, the world 
is filled with innkeepers. Busy, busy innkeepers. And I think you notice them more around Christmas. Go to the malls and look at the faces of those people who are scurrying through the hallways of the mall in and out of store. See if you can find someone who is filled with joy. Just the smile is all over their face. They're so bubbly. It's Christmas time. You'd be hard-pressed to find those kind of people. It's usually, get out of my way, man. It's Christmas time. i got to buy that gift for that one last person on my list. Hurried. Overcrowded. And that might be your life. You might be too busy for God. If that's the case, friend, you're just too busy, period. Because He's the most important thing. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? But in the process, he loses his own soul. The story is told of a young boy who made all sorts of plans for his future. He had his plans all worked out in his mind, and an older gentleman came to him, a wiser man, and said, well, tell me about your plans, boy. He said, well, after high school, I've already been accepted to the college of my choice, and I'm going to go there and get my degree. Well, that's great. Those are good plans. And what are you going to do after college? Well, then, I figure that I'll have a couple of opportunities, a couple of options. I'll line up a good job, and I'll work really hard, and I'm going to buy a house. Well, those are good plans. You're a real thinker. You're a real planner. Then what are you going to do? Oh, afterwards, I suppose, I'll get married. I'll have all of the financial resources. I'll have a home. I plan for the future. I'll be able to take a wife. Oh, those are good plans, too. What will you do after you have a home and get married? Well, then we're going to have kids. Great plans. And then what are you going to do? Well, I want to raise those children up. I'll take them through school. I'll get involved in their activities. I'll see them raised. I'll take on a few pursuits, maybe buy a boat. Well, those are good plans. Then what are you going to do? Oh, then I'm going to retire. And I'm going to get a little house out by one of the lakes. And I'm just going to kick back. The kids will be out of the house and I'm going to retire. Man, you know, for a young lad, you've really planned out your life. That's really admirable. Then what are you going to do? Then I'm going to die, I suppose. Right. Then what are you going to do? The young boy froze right there. Well, I haven't thought that far ahead. Well, it's time that you do. Because it's appointed unto every man wants to die. The death rate is still one out of one. And he didn't plan far enough ahead. Now, that was the innkeeper. He was the entrepreneur. He was busy making a living. He wasn't against Jesus. He just didn't have time for him. No room for him. A second reaction to that first Christmas was by a politician known as Herod the Great. His story is found in the Gospel of Matthew. Let me read a couple verses to you. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. They said, Where is he who is to be born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east. We have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, a strange group of travelers, magi, the scripture calls them, wise men, came from the east, and they showed up in Jerusalem. And that really bugged Herod. You know why it bugged him? 
Because they spoke of a different king. They didn't say, Hail King Herod! They said, Where's the real king? We've come to worship another king. And the scripture says here that he was troubled. It means he was agitated or he was all shook up. It might have been a silent night over in Bethlehem, but it was anything but a silent night in Herod's heart during those days because he sensed a threat. Another king? Why, no. There'll be no other king but me. I'm going to be firmly in control. You've got to understand something about this guy they call Herod the Great. He wasn't all that great. In fact, we should rename him Herod the Paranoid One. It's true. Herod had several wives and 12 children. He killed one of his wives, his brother-in-law, and two of his own sons because he felt they were a threat to his kingdom and he didn't want any of them or their relatives to sit on his throne. So he murdered them. Later on, he arrested some of the most prominent members of the city of Jerusalem, put them in jail and said, Now guys, as soon as I die, I want you to kill all of these prominent citizens of Jerusalem because on the day that I die, I want mourning and weeping to be heard throughout Jerusalem. And I know they won't cry when I die, but I know they'll cry when they die. He was crazy. He was paranoid. And Herod is like many people who have an agenda in life and they won't let anything or anyone interfere. They've got their career, their ambitions, their plans, their lifestyle. And at this point, Jesus Christ was seen as a threat to Herod the king. Now, the scripture goes on to say this. Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me so that I may come and worship him also. Now, here, this paranoid king says, I want to worship Jesus Christ. Tell me where he's to be born. I'll go and worship him. But Herod was a false worshiper. And I think that there are Herods by the hundreds and by the thousands that fill church pews every Sunday across our country. They're all over the place. They say, I've come to worship him, but they really haven't come to worship him. There's not a change of lifestyle. There's still their own agenda. Outwardly, they appear spiritual, but it's sort of like a shiny new sports car without any engine. It's all glow and no go. There's a lot of people, they glow, they're shined up. Oh, they look great. But you can't put the key in and turn over the engine. There isn't an engine. There's really not a lifestyle backing it up. Jesus Christ said, Why do you call me Lord when you don't do the things that I say? This is Christmas Eve. And people don't mind celebrating Christmas. People who don't even know Jesus don't mind celebrating Christmas. They like it. They don't mind celebrating it. They don't mind Jesus' birth. They don't even mind praying to Jesus when they're really in trouble. In fact, some of them will say, yes, I am a Christian. 
Everything's okay with these people as long as Jesus stays a little bitty baby in the manger. That's fine. Oh, it's so warm and cuddly and sentimental. I love Christmas. Just don't let that little baby grow up, get out of the manger to be king of my life. I one time had a woman come up to me and she was telling me all about her spiritual experience. She says, I have my job, I have my career, I have my church, and just as long as they do and say what I believe, I'll be committed to it. As long as they do and say what I believe, as long as they agree with me, she said, I'll go there. Well, I would say the question is not do they agree with you, but do you agree with God? He's the only one you have to agree with. It's not who's on your side, but are you on his side? I think a lot of people are rewriting biblical history, creating God in their own image. There's two notable authors who wrote a book called The Day America Told the Truth. Sounds like an incredible day indeed. They said Americans are making up their own rules. In effect, we're making up our own moral codes. We choose which laws of God we want to believe in. We have made ourselves the authority over church and over God. There's a lot of people like that. A lot of people like that. Just like Herod. They will say, I want to worship him. But they've got their own agenda, their own life. They're clutching on really hard. They don't want anyone or anything to tell them what to do. They will have no other king in their lives but themselves. There was a third group of people on that first Christmas. And I think that one of the most common reactions even today come from the model of this third group of people. These were the religious people. Listen to their story. It says, When Herod had gathered all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. They said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet... But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, who were these religious people, these scribes? Well, these were the theological scholars of their day. It was their business to study the Bible, to study the Scriptures. And Herod was justified in asking from these scholars where the Messiah was to be born. Because they were supposed to know it was their job. He paid them for it. But here's the amazing thing. They knew the prophecy. They could quote the scriptures. But they didn't even get up and go five miles south where Bethlehem was from Jerusalem to check it out. Okay, if they're Jewish, if they're scholars, if they knew the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, if wise men came from the east and said, we followed a star... Where is the Messiah to be born, asked Herod? Over in Bethlehem. You'd think these guys would hightail it over to Bethlehem. You'd think that they'd get on their Nikes and they'd make their way down as quickly as they can, but they didn't do that. They cared nothing for this baby king. The only thing they cared about was the adult king named Herod who could line their pockets with silver and gold. They were professionally religious. Kind of a been there, done that attitude. Been in church all my life. Addressing this attitude later on, Jesus himself said, Hypocrites! 
who draw near to me with their mouth, and they know me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. There's many people like that, aren't there? They don't apply what they hear. Oh, they've heard it all their lives. They can quote it back to you. They've got more Bibles than you could shake a stick at. But it doesn't really transform their lives. You know, there's an old saying, you've heard it. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. If that's true, then some people must dearly love God because they've been away from Him for a long time. Their hearts, you'd think, would be crying out for Him, but instead many of them will be passive and lukewarm. They'll give you the right answers. They'll quote the right scriptures. But there's no hunger for God like these scribes, these religious people. Now some of you tonight have that background. You've been raised in the church. You've been to Sunday school. You know all the stories. Christmas to you is old hat. You just hope that it's a little bit bigger and better next year, next time around. You've read the Bible, but do you know its author at this Christmas season? Now I can hear some objections to that. Yeah, I hear you, Skip, but I don't want to be a fanatic. I'm afraid that I'll turn into one of, well, I see him around here, these religious fanatics. Listen, it's a whole lot easier to cool down a fanatic than to warm up a corpse. There's some people who have absolutely no spiritual life in them at all. They're dead to spiritual things. Except for once a year. Once a year, of course, oh, it's Christmas time. Let's celebrate the spirit of the thing. It's the time for Jesus. Besides that, you know what? You can never really go overboard on God. You can't go too far in loving Him and celebrating Him and singing to Him and loving Him. You don't ever have to be afraid about going overboard. He's God. He wants all of you. All of your life will change and transform if you give your heart to Him. You know, oftentimes this arena gets filled with people on different events for Monster Truck Day or for the circus. And people come in here and somebody does a stunt and they all stand up and whistle and clap. And yet those same people, in seeing you in your worship and clapping, they'll say, Fanatic! Hello! That's where we get the term fan from. From the lengthened term fanatic. Alright, I'm a fan of God, I admit it. I'm a fanatic for God. But you really can't go overboard. These religious people back in those days, like many people today, were underboard. They claimed a love for God, but it didn't really change their life. Now the fourth response is the best response. We call it the response of the wise men. And their story goes like this from the Gospel of Matthew. From the east they came, saying, Where is he who has been born, the king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. The star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. Now, we have all sorts of traditions about these guys. We believe in our minds there were three of them. And that's really tradition, it's really not scripture. We sing, We Three Kings of Orion are. But we assume there are three. Probably there was a huge company of them, not just three. We think there's three because of the three gifts they gave, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
Now, these magi were highly respected, the intellectuals of the Medo-Persian and Babylonian empires. They had come all the way across Mesopotamian valleys to see, following this star, the baby that was born in that manger. They had political influence. They had religious influence. Yet with all that they had, they were still motivated to get up, unlike these religious people five miles away, and travel hundreds of miles seeing this wonder in the sky because all of the politics and all of the prestige that they had back at their home didn't satisfy them. They were willing to find this baby king and as they said, we want to worship him. Now it's interesting, a lot of people ask, well, what was that star anyway? How can you explain it in natural, physical terms? And there have been all sorts of Speculation. Some have said it was a supernova, this explosion of a star that created a bright light. Others say it was a comet passing by. We know that Halley's Comet made a pass close to the Earth about 12 B.C. Others say it was probably an alignment of planets, an unusual alignment. And we know historically that happened a few years before Jesus was born. I don't know, actually. I can't really give you a scientific explanation. But it's interesting, during the Gulf War, we had these things called smart bombs. Remember those? You programmed them in. You set them on the scope to a destination. They traveled through space and hit the target exactly. Now, man did that. And if man did that, why couldn't God make a smart star? Just some supernatural, sort of like the Shekinah glory of God in the Old Testament, leading the children of Israel through the desert. Some sort of an emanation that just set the pace for them so they could make it all the way to Bethlehem. But they came to worship. That's the fourth response. That's the best response. They came to worship Him. Though they had a pagan background, they came to worship God. And you know what the Bible says? In the book of Jeremiah, God said, And they will seek for me, and they will find me when they seek after me with all of their heart. If you're seeking for God, if tonight you are spiritually drained, if you want something more than just a quick fix with the Christmas spirit and a present under the tree, you want a life change, then like these wise men, you will seek Him, and you will come that you might worship Him. By the way, they gave gifts to this infant child. Gold, the gift for a king. Frankincense, the gift for a priest. Myrrh, an embalming fluid. You go, what? Oh, that would be like an insult. Here, Mary, this is some embalming fluid for your son. Congratulations. We're so excited. But that was prophetic, wasn't it, of his death. The reason that he came was to die on the cross. But notice that they worshipped before they gave their gifts. They gave themselves before they gave their gifts. And that's how God is. God wants you. God wants your heart. Before He wants anything else in your life, He wants you just to come to Him the way you are. Now where do you stand tonight? Which response will you have? Will you be like Herod? Yet you might be a little bit like Herod in the sense that you'll say, yeah, sure, I'm a Christian. I'll go to worship Him. But it's a false worship. Maybe you're like the innkeeper. Well, you're not against God. You're just too busy. Maybe you're like those religious people. You've heard it. You can quote it. 
But it doesn't make an impact against you. You're not against Jesus. You're just not interested in Him. That's all. Or maybe your response will be like these wise men. Let me share a little bit of Christmas trivia with you. The word Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, is closely associated with the word Bedlam. B-E-D-L-A-M. Bedlam. Bedlam means confusion. In fact, Bedlam is a corrupted form of the word Bethlehem. You see, in the 1500s, over in London, England, there was a hospital known as St. Mary's of Bethlehem. It was an institution for the insane. In fact, for a price, you could go and heckle the inmates in the 1500s in London. And it is said that St. Mary's of Bethlehem became one of the most prominent tourist attractions in all of England as people would come and they would pay money to heckle the inmates. Later on, the term St. Mary's of Bethlehem was shortened to just Bethlehem. And then after that, as the British said it over and over again, it was corrupted once again to the term Bedlam. And it became a word introduced into the English language to speak of confusion because of the noise and confusion of the insane asylum. Now let me ask you this question. At this Christmas season, is your life a Bedlam or a Bethlehem? Is Christ there? Is He reigning? Are you worshiping Him? Do you have a relationship with Him? Or is there a lot of noise, confusion, uncertainty? Like a Bedlam. It's not enough to have a Christmas tree. It's not enough to have a nativity set in your home. Jesus said, you must be born Again, and nobody can make that decision for you. You've got to make that decision. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask you, if you haven't made that decision, if you're not certain if you ever made that decision, or perhaps you made it as a little child or many years ago, but you've walked away from the Lord for you to confirm that decision tonight. There's no better place. There's no better time. Because it's Jesus' birthday, you see. We give gifts to one another. What will you give Him? The only thing He wants is your heart. And tonight you can make that choice and you can say, Jesus, here's my life. Here's my heart. All of it, I give it to you. I'm going to give you my life this Christmas. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, right now we ask that people all over this tingly Colosseum, even those listening by radio right now, would experience the touch of Your Holy Spirit upon their life. We pray, Father, that You would draw men and women, young and old, to Your Son. For so many people, Christmas is like having a birthday party without inviting the very one whose birthday it is. We invite You into this place, Lord. We celebrate You. And I pray for those who are hesitant or uncertain or confused or have wandered away, that tonight would be a time of decision for them. We ask it in Jesus' name.